0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel Office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the dis- discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry.
1: Thank you very much, Stacey. And good evening from Israel. Um, tonight, I'd like to focus really on one crucial event that happened over the last week because it could answer many of the questions which many of us are asking about the possible length of um, and durability of this uh, current coalition, uh, the new Israeli government. Uh, because as I think I said last time uh, we were together, you know, one of the questions I asked anybody, anybody in the Knesset, in the government, advisors, anyone in the know, mm-hmm. the first question I ask everybody is how long do you think the government's going to last? And so far, few have been able to give me any sort of answer. Um, Uh, Some are more optimistic, some are pessimistic. I've said before that uh, I tend to be on the pessimistic side. Uh, But let's look at one event that happened this week that really will give us a little bit of an insight into how this government will work, especially in the Knesset with its razor thin majority of 61. So on Monday, um, the so-called citizenship law uh, was making its way through the Knesset. A little bit of background exactly what this law is, uh, during the second intifada, I believe around 2002 or 2003, uh, the Israeli government at the time, which was the Likud government, uh, decided that uh, on the basis of information from security uh, professionals, etc. Uh, don't forget, this was the second intifada where there was suicide or terrorist attacks almost every other day, that around 15%, this is a number that's been touted, obviously I have no way of checking this, but 15% of uh, those involved in these terror attacks were uh, from uh, Palestinians who had basically utilized Israel's nationality law or immigration law uh, which allows anyone married to an Israeli to instantly gain citizenship and around 15 percent of the attacks uh, it, uh, that uh, took place during those extremely bloody and violent times were through people uh, who had taken advantage of this married Israeli Arabs, Palestinian Arabs who married Israeli Arabs and And around uh, 15% of the attacks were perpetrated uh, by by people who took advantage of the law. Also, an argument was made uh, that, you know, uh, every decade, around 200,000 Palestinians were taking advantage of this law. As as we know, many, not all, but many in the Arab, especially in the Muslim uh, Arab uh, public, uh, are involved in arranged marriages, where a couple is not necessarily Uh, will not necessarily decide who they marry, but will be recommended by families or or leaders in the community. And there was a feeling that many were bringing across Palestinians uh, specifically to uh, try and sort of improve the demographics. So there are a lot of factors involved. And in 2002 or 2003, uh, this law was passed that would not allow uh, instantly anyone who married an Israeli uh, to uh, uh, gain citizenship. Uh, as I said, the vast majority of those who would were Palestinians marrying Israeli Arabs. Uh, basically, it was supposed to be a temporary law and it was supposed to be voted on every single year annually. And every single year up until this year, it was voted with very little fanfare, no great disagreement. There was always a massive majority uh, force for this law from the left, center and right. Very, very few people disagreed with it because they saw uh, the need for it uh, until this year. Uh, Ironically, in the year which uh, we have for the first time probably in the history of the State of Israel, I would argue, um, a prime minister and a leader of the opposition firmly from the right-wing hawkish camp uh, is the first year that this law didn't pass. Now basically, what we have is, as we know, we have a government made up of right-wing parties, centrist parties, left-wing parties, and an uh, Islamist uh, Arab party for the first time in the government. Um, together they make 62, uh, but we already have one rebel from the Yamina party, Naftali Bennett's party, who has said that he will not—he uh, he did not vote for the establishment of the government and he will not be bound by the government. He has since then said that he will vote with the government probably on most issues. Uh, part of that is, could be ideological, but part of that is practical because if Yamina uh, designate uh, mean Shikli, who is this renegade, let's say, uh, Yamina MK, and he becomes crucial in the minute. so I'll explain why, uh, but just to give you some background, he, he uh, if the Yamina party decide that he is a member of Knesset who has officially quit the party, they can designate him as quitting the party or they push him out of the party, he will not be able to sit on any committees as because the committees in the Knesset are made up uh, of representatives from parties, and he will not be able to run in the next uh, election under an established party. So that obviously uh, hampers him significantly. So there's big discussions, there were big discussions and it seemed like uh, up until this week that Amichai Shikli was going to be someone who wouldn't necessarily be under the whip, uh, the coalition whip, but certainly someone who they could rely on for certain votes, especially with a crucial uh, budget um, uh, coming up in the next few months. So basically we had uh, Naftali Bennett, the the, the leader of the government and uh, the coalition chair, um, who basically were trying to ensure that Likud and uh, all of their allies in the opposition would obviously vote for this law, because this law, not only was it something that they supported and they voted on, what is it, uh, 19 years, 18 years in a row, it was something that the Shimbet, the shabak, uh, the internal, Israeli intelligence and all other security officials said that it was crucial that it was voted on. Remarkably, Likud uh, indicated relatively early on, before this week, that it would not vote for this law, even though it is voted for it consistently, even though it is a law which every Zionist, uh, uh, certainly a right-wing party should vote for. So this left uh, Naftali Bennett trying to convince some of his more left-wing parties, especially those in Meretz and the Islamist party to vote for it, uh, because the right-wing party, basically the right-wing parties under Netanyahu, said, you know, we don't want to make life easy for you. Uh, this is uh, about the opposition, and we're opposition, and uh, we're opposition members of Knesset, and we don't do the coalition any favors. This is what set off uh, what had basically already been. Uh, a couple of weeks in the running because already this citizenship law had been brought up before the government committee and then pushed down when they realized they didn't have a majority and then brought up again and then pushed down but the law itself would run out I believe on Tuesday night last night so they had to vote for it on Monday so it had to be pushed uh, to the Knesset plenum uh, Monday uh, at the latest or this law basically would be off the books as I said it's, it was an annual law and it needed to be uh, revoted every year, uh, so uh, Naftali Bennett ch- tried to see if there could be any, uh, you know, individuals on the in the opposition that could uh, basically fill the gap because Ram, the Islamist party, and members of merit said that they'll vote against it. There were many on the Likud side, uh, like Avi Dichter, former Shimbet uh, head, who said that they felt very uncomfortable voting against law, which to them is a matter of national security. But on the day of the vote, uh, Netanyahu did a good job in his, for his uh, side of the argument and made sure that everybody on his side would vote against. And that would be uh, 58. Uh, There was going to be no deserters on this issue. No people abstaining, no people missing. This vote uh, took place, I believe in the end, three or four o'clock in the morning because there were endless filibusters. Um, And basically, uh, so what Naftali Bennett had to do or rather A. L. Shaked, because she's interior minister whose under whose office this law basically stands. Um, she had to try and convince Ram and Meretz to vote for this law. And how did she do it? By trying to seek a compromise. Instead of a blanket uh, law that basically wouldn't let any Palestinians uh, marry Israeli Arabs. By the way, it should be said at this point that uh, there are exceptions uh, under this law. And uh, according to the data that we've seen, Arya the leader of Shas, who's been interior minister for many, many years, uh, gave around 1,500, 1,600 exceptions uh, every year. So Ayelet Shaked went to Ram and Meretz and said, okay, I'll give you uh, the same amount that Arya gave every year, and we'll actually put it in the law. And, and this is where there's a debate, exactly what was promised. Uh, we can also create a committee to look at all the others uh, who are currently in limbo. There's around 12,000, Uh, couples which are in limbo, the Palestinian spouse doesn't have citizenship, they have a temporary visa that they have to renew, they can't have social rights, etc, etc. Even some compromises talked about giving social rights rather than citizenship, etc, etc. And they came to an agreement um, where Ram, uh, half of their uh, party would vote for it, uh, two out of four, and everybody else in the coalition would vote for it, and that would be enough. Um, what happened was, is when it came to the vote, or literally in the minutes before the vote, Amichai Shikli, who had given his uh, assurance that he would vote for the law, at the last minute decided to vote against the law. And what that created was uh, a fifty-nine fifty-nine, because that you had uh, two um, RAM uh, members who vote who abstained; they didn't vote against it; they abstained. So we had fifty-nine fifty-nine, and. Uh, it, In the Israeli system, I believe, like all systems, if there's no majority, the vote does not pass. So as of last night, uh, we no longer have this law, which every government, and by the way, it should be said, looking back into it, the opposition voted for. Yael Lapid, uh, when he was in opposition, voted for it, Naftali Bennett, when he was in opposition, voted for it, Avigdor Liebman, when he was in the opposition, voted for it, But Likud did something, or Likud and his allies did something relatively unprecedented, and which really just shows where we are is that they took an issue which they firmly believe in, voted for it, what is it, uh, 19 years in a row, 18 years in a row, without any great discussion. It was something that everybody understood, uh, went against uh, the advice of all the major security officials and organizations, and voted against the law, which could, again, conceivably, according to not just Netanyahu in previous years, but the heads of the Shabak, heads of uh, all the relevant officials could do damage to the security of Israel, but as they claim our job as the opposition is to bring down the government. Now on the other side you could argue this didn't bring down the government, even uh, the fact that they lost, this doesn't hurt the government, it embarrasses the government certainly, uh, and it's probably the first large test that they failed, but it doesn't bring down the government. So. It was more symbolic than anything. It was, it was a show to try and, sh- you know, uh, expose it to, to show that it's, uh, uh, as, as we've talked many times, there are many internal contradictions. But again, it was symbolic, as, as many in the coalition would argue, that uh, to the show of symbolism has arguably, could arguably hurt uh, Israel's national security. Now, what this does show us, uh, moving on uh, beyond the law, is a number of things. First of all, it shows that Shikli is open to persuasion. He said openly today uh, in a radio interview that he, if he was to vote uh, in elections today, he would vote for Likud. And he even, uh, it was sort of embarrassing that there's going to be an event, uh, a Likud event where he was actually going to feature, but he's now walked that back and said he's no longer going to attend. So we see as much as Naftali Bennett and Shaked of Yamina thought that they'd come to some sort of um, uh, understanding with Amichai Shikli that, okay, he's not, Not necessarily supportive of this government, but they could rely on his uh, vote on many issues, which would give them 62, which is a little bit more comfortable than 61. But it shows that he's open to persuasion. There were remarkable scenes of, I believe it was Yoav Kish of Likud and Ayel Shekhed standing outside in the Knesset balcony, both of them shouting at Amichai Shikli their arguments as he was walking to the Knesset to vote. So really, it just came down to that. Both sides thought that they had him in on their side and in the end he voted uh, with the opposition. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when it comes to these sort of issues, even the biggest compromise uh, can still show that there are cracks in this government. I've said many times that I believe that if it was just at the leadership level, I think the government could overcome many, many hurdles. There is great will uh, in this government at the leadership level, but at the uh, level of many of the people in these parties, Many of them will say on certain issues, even if the coalition agrees on it, I don't necessarily have to rebound on it. And we've seen that on a number of issues uh, and we saw it uh, on the citizenship law. In the end, there actually was quite impressive uh, sort of uh, in the coalition, they managed to work it out uh, with merits, with even, uh, I think there was a member of Labor Party who said that she would vote against it. Uh, But in the end, they also decided to vote for this compromise. Uh, but at the end it was really rebuffed by Amichai Shikli. Um, So really, we know one thing that Amichai Shikli cannot be relied on. Uh, Naftali Bennett now has to decide, does he declare him officially as someone who has left the party? And as I said, that comes with practical considerations for Shikli, and it certainly comes with uh, many possible negative connotations for this government. It means that it will uh, be back to its 61, uh, which will be more difficult. What also has come out recently is uh, Yisrael Beitein, who have a member of Knesset, Ali Avida, who has also said that he's not bound by the government and actually voted against the government on a law last night, which wasn't as controversial, or not as heated, which was to allow uh, four people, four members of Knesset from a party to break away and join uh, the government. That was important for the government because maybe they can have four breakaway liquid members or... That's probably the only place that it's going to come from. Um, that only passed because the um, the joint list, the Arab list, the joint Arab list basically decided uh, to abstain on this so it gave the government uh, a majority. Again going back to the going back to other things that we've learned is that while the opposition is almost solely the previous government with Netanyahu's Likud, uh, Shas, United Torah Judaism and, Uh, the National Religious Party, there's another party in the opposition, and that's the uh, Arab Joint List. And we saw uh, amazing scenes after the citizenship law uh, failed. We saw joint celebrations with the Arab List, with Ahmed Tibi, who was supposed to be, you know, completely off the Zionist map, uh, celebrating alongside Likud, uh, and a religious Zionist, who was supposed to be extremely right-wing. The opposition certainly has to try and get itself in order as much as the coalition does. Um, So I think that's another thing that we learned that there will be perhaps if not uh, cooperation, some sort of coordination between members of the opposition. And it will mean that Netanyahu and religious Zionists and the ultra-Orthodox parties will be on the same side as the extreme anti-Zionist Arab list uh, on many issues in the days and weeks ahead. Overall, I think it certainly showed that these internal contradictions in the government are gonna make it very, very hard. Um, There's a lot of issues coming up, which like the citizenship law are supposed to be non-controversial, are supposed to be easily uh, pushed through the government. If you look at the numbers in the Knesset, there probably should be a majority of 90, 95 for issues like that. But the fact that only 59 uh, members of Knesset voted for it because uh, the opposition at least, saw that their role as a position was more important than what the uh, coalition would argue is a national security issue and many other figures, shows that this is going to be an extremely difficult and divisive Knesset. There is going to be very little crossover, there's going to be very little room for manoeuvre. and this was shown in, in Stark, uh, reminder last night, that uh, one of the members of Knesset from Tikva Khadasha. Um, his sister died during the day and he went to the funeral. Now, usually in these situations, uh, you ask for a, a person of the opposition to also sit out, so it's, it's uh, you know, mutually understood that one person uh, will sit out in the government and one person will sit on the uh, uh, coalition, it's called Kizuz, um, but the coalition basically claimed that the opposition under Netanyahu was playing around with them, kept them throwing up different people who would sit out and every time they would say that they would sit out, they'd be found in the Knesset. And as I said, when, when these votes are basically, you know, uh, relying on one uh, uh, seat one way or another, they basically had to call this uh, poor MK who just lost his sister. He came to the Knesset with his ribbed shirt, with his key pasta on his head, an hour after his sister's funeral when he sh- should be sitting shiva, the seven day mourning period, and he had to be in the Knesset. So that really did bring home the fact that There's no room for illness. There's no room for bereavement. There's no room for everything. This is going to be a very divisive, can I say, every vote's going to come down to the wire. And I think this week we really just uh, saw an example of that. So uh, I've got a little bit over time, I know, uh, but I'm happy for any questions on this or any other subjects.
0: Wonderful, thank you so much. Uh, so the first question we have in from Carrie Hildebrand, is there any backlash against Likud for voting against the security needs of the state just to harm the government? And will this act backfire?
1: Well, it depends who you ask. Uh, we already saw some polls which showed that the majority of Israelis, which would include obviously uh, some, many on the right, because the right wing certainly is a majority in the Israeli public in general, uh, that they didn't support this move <clears throat> of uh, Netanyahu, and uh, Naftali Bennett basically came out afterwards, made a speech and said, this will be remembered just like when Netanyahu voted uh, three times for the disengagement, you know, and every elections come around, those videos come out again and again to for uh, Netanyahu's opponents to try and uh, paint him as someone who, you know, talks an ideological game, but when it comes to it, we'll vote on the left wing agenda. So he said that this vote alongside Ahmed Tibi and people like that will show Netanyahu uh, places political interests before uh, the the state's interests. The argument against that is despite the fact that uh, people uh, like to think that they show proof that Netanyahu votes left-wing on many issues when it comes to it, it hasn't really harmed him at the polls. Um, it, It remains to be seen exactly how that will harm him. There's no talk of elections yet. Um, haven't really seen any polls since then. I think that my sense is there'll be, a, it would leave a nasty taste in the mouth, um, but if we've got no elections next few months, it probably won't be an issue. It, this this issue probably will be sorted out one way or another. Uh, there's talk of reintroducing it and trying to, again, find that compromise and trying to get it, get it over the line in the next couple of weeks. If so, uh, it will be, relatively quickly forgotten. If there is some actual physical blowback from it, then perhaps it will linger a little bit longer. Uh, But it all remains to be seen how many more uh, issues Netanyahu and his so-called right-wing opposition will vote against its ideology. Because one of their main arguments against Naftali Bennett consistently has been that you put uh, your own political personal needs ahead of the country. Well. I think that's going to be a much harder case to make moving forward when they voted against something that they've
0: supported for 19 years. Thank you, and that brings me to the next question. Mary Feldman asks, how soon can Shekhed bring the bring this back for another vote?
1: Um, they say probably in the next uh, couple of weeks. It's going to be something. At the moment, Sheked, as interior minister has said that uh, until it comes back, she's not going to sign because at the end of the day, any person who becomes an Israeli citizen has to go through the interior minister's office. And she said that she refuses to sign any until uh, this issue is dealt with. On the other hand, there are those who have, are trying to uh, immediately jump on the fact that this law no longer exists. Um, and there are some, uh, let's say, I don't know if you could describe them, left-wing groups, civil rights groups who are already trying to petition the high court to allow for all those currently in limbo to immediately receive citizenship. So there could be uh, a bit of a fight between the High Court and the Interior Minister uh, at this point. So I think it would be the Interior Minister's uh, interest and the government as a whole's interest to try and deal with this as quickly as possible. Um, That remains to be seen, by the way, even if there is a law, uh, as there has been pretty much every other year, there's a petition to the High Court and in the last few years, the High Court has ruled by a majority of one. I think the last time it was six to five. Now it could be that next time it goes to the Supreme Court, maybe as they've seen that there's a significant amount of uh, votes against this law by liquid by those so-called right parties. The, justice, uh, the justices sitting on the Supreme Court say could say, well, it seems that this law is no longer necessary uh, because there's significant uh, opposition to it even amongst those, you know, those who deem themselves right wing and Zionists and they could uh, strike it down even if it is passed. So it remains to be seen exactly what damage that vote has done. It could be, as I said, everything will blow over or it could be there's very long lasting ramifications.
0: Thank you from Stephen Orlow. If the citizenship law is not enacted, is there any discretion by the interior minister as to who should or should not become a citizen or is citizenship required to be granted automatically?
1: Uh, in theory, um, now that this law has, has fallen, citizenship should be granted unless there is a reason not to. Every application uh, by Palestinians does go through, uh, through the shimbet, but going back to that statistics I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the shimbet has a lot on its plate. And, you know, there are people who maybe only become ra- radicalized once they move over, the Green Line, or it could be, you know, people with a little background but are radicalized already, but with, we're not on the Shimbets uh radar, you know, it, the fact that they needed this law uh, shows that, you know, there, there was obviously some kinks in the system, some loopholes, uh, which uh, are now going to be back in play for the first time in 19 years.
0: Thank you. From Flora Love Uh, In light of your sobering assessment and overview, do you anticipate the Knesset surviving the next two years, this Knesset?
1: <sighs> two years. Uh, I think I've said this before. I'm not a betting man. Uh, but if I was, I wouldn't put too much money on it lasting two years. But one never knows. As I said, I think at the leadership level, the leaders of the parties really have an interest. And, and I think there's a, even a will to work very well to try and compromise. We saw that. Mansour Abbas, even though obviously many of his constituents will be against this law, because don't forget his people are, are the Arab Israelis, many of whom may, may have spouses in this limbo situation. But the fact that they were prepared to compromise and at least vote you know, at least half with, with, uh, with the government and merits and the Labour Party shows that there is a will uh, at the highest level. Uh, but again, I wouldn't put too much money on it. Lasting two years, I think it would do very well to last two years. But uh, as I said, two years would be that point where Yale would become prime minister. So obviously, Yale uh has a great interest in it lasting at least two years. Uh, but if I was a betting man, I wouldn't put too much money on it.
0: Mm, understood, thank you. From Edward Kaplan, what is the likelihood that these small parties would be in Knesset if the government fails and there is another election?
1: That's a good question. Uh, the, uh, so far, every poll that's been taken since uh, the, the, the last election, since the Knesset was formed, since the government was formed, has shown that every party currently in the Knesset will pass. Some of them, not uh, like uh, Ram, by not so much. Tikva Khadasha, Kedon Sa's party, also teetering on the brink there. Um, And the government makeup would be pretty much the same. In fact, the last one I saw would actually give one more seat to the current coalition over the opposition. Uh, So at the moment, there's no danger or not too much danger. um, But I think some of those smaller parties certainly would not want to go to elections until they had some successes and some achievements under their belt.
0: Thank you. From Ravenhock, any plans for a Likud internal election in the near future?
1: That's a good question. Um, I spoke to a few people about that this week. My assumption was always that Netanyahu would like to push it uh, as quickly as possible while he still has that aura of prime minister leadership. The longer he stays in the opposition, uh, the the less shine there is, let's say. And certainly uh, as the leader of opposition, he has no positions to give out. As a government, he had ministries, heads of committees, many other positions. As leader of the opposition, he has absolutely no to give out every single other member of the Likud. I think bar one is just a regular member of Knesset. They probably have a deputy speaker somewhere, and they probably have a head of a chairman of a committee, but they they won't even agree to sit at the moment on the arrangements committee, which will decide that. But at the moment, the bottom line is he doesn't have too much to give up. Uh, So my assumption was always that he would try and move them up as quickly as possible. And we heard from potential challengers like Nia Barkart and Yuli Edelstein who uh, want to have it uh, a little bit further down the line. Um, But there hasn't really been too much talk on that at the moment. The Netanyahu certainly are busy leaving, Uh, Balfour finally, I think uh, in the next couple of days they're supposed to be leaving. Um, So maybe uh, in the next few weeks we'll hear a little bit more about that. I did hear an assessment where it's not in uh, Netanyahu's interest to hold primaries at this point to sort of wait and see as I said, I think last time uh, I did this, that there's a big sort of wait and see what's going to happen. Can this government last six months? What's going to happen? You know, the, the ultra orthodox stipends are going to be running out. And Victor Lehman's finance minister today uh, basically announced that he's going to uh, uh, provide um, uh, up to the age of three free um, childcare for all those with two working. Parents Up until now, it's only been one working parent if the mother was working and that was seen as a sort of against the ultra-Orthodox community because in their community, 85% of the women will work, whereas 50% of the men work and the rest are full-time students. Uh, So that was seen as sort of uh, attacking them and certainly that will hurt the average uh, ultra-Orthodox family significantly financially. Um, And as I said, I think last time that... The last thing Netanyahu did before he broke up the government was give them a nice soft cushion for at least a few months because it's clear that the ultra-Orthodox, regardless of how they are bashing the government and calling everyone in it evil and non-Jewish and this and that and the other, they are desperate to get on the inside. But at the moment, uh, they're not able to get on the inside. Uh, so everyone's sort of waiting to see. And as I said, tests like the citizenship law uh, really gives you an indication, can this government, can this uh, coalition last too long. So it remains to be seen. But uh, it's clear that uh, this week was certainly a test that the coalition failed. And I think this will start giving people an indication where the winds are blowing for the months ahead.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. And thank you all for joining us. And I hope you have a great day.